1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. While well, the show so far today has sparked an unintended debate as to what the time zone is in the U.K., We reported earlier in the program, based upon our source who lives there, Chris, that it is Greenwich Mean Time. That sparked a debate on Twitter as to whether it's Greenwich Mean Time or British Summer Time. Apparently, that's the lingo for Daylight Savings Time. And I look at it this way. It's very simple. I'm sitting in the Eastern Time Zone. It's Daylight Savings Time currently, but it's still the Eastern Time Zone. So I think the only way we can thread this needle and move on with our lives is to say it's Greenwich meantime but it's british summertime in the greenwich meantime time zone that's the best i can do what do you think and chris oh, uh, here's the question for you can you name any cities in the uk other than you sound like you're from london
2: i love london you know i love london but uh yes i believe i can horrible that okay horrible. i can name <laughs> manchester okay Uh, Leicester. Uh, let's see. Liverpool. Okay. That's some, that's some for you right there. Is there any more I'm missing? I'm just trying to think of some soccer teams. I probably botched a few names, but that's at least proof. Well, Dublin no, Dublin's count? in
1: Ireland. I don't we don't want to start anything. It's we always say the UK and Ireland and the people there are people who say, what about Scotland? Mention Scotland. Well, Scotland's part of the UK. The UK and Ireland are separate. That's all I know about that. I need to do a little more research on the history of the UK and Ireland and how all these various countries fit together. I apologize. I don't know that. But uh, one of these days, maybe I will. And I'll definitely do it before we come over there and we're still going to get over there at some point, Chris, at some point, the world is going to return to normal. I am going to get a passport and we are going to go over there.
2: I would love that. I really would. I would love if we could get over there and do the show at some point, you know, when there's actually a football game going on. And, uh, you know, I do we do, we got a following there and we know they love football there. And what do you think? You think I did okay with my cities there? There's Manchester, right? Liverpool, Leicester. You're not sure either. So you don't really know. (laughs) You did better
1: than I thought you could do. You did as well as I could have done. I, I would have had to okay. Google it and act like I wasn't Googling it, which I was kind of trying to do uh, while you were doing it, to add a few names to the list. All right. um, Plenty of stuff going on in the National Football League. The draft, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, seven rounds, and then the rush for free agents. And now we kind of step into the who-knows-what-happens-next zone for the NFL, virtual off-season workouts 20 more teams are starting today with a program only 4 of the 20 will have workouts the other 16 will just do zoom teleconferences and playbook study and whatnot but that happens for the next 3 weeks at some point late may early june who knows whether or not there will be a real off-season program but that's kind of the next big question for the NFL and you know another thing chris that i hadn't thought of and we'll we'll move on in a second here but in past years we have seen a lot of teams start signing their rookies to contracts. Boom, 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 right away. There's no reason to do it now. There's no, there's no risk that any of them are taking, right? I've said in the past if I'm a rookie, I'm not going to an offseason workout until I have my contract. There's, there's nothing to do. If there's no offseason program, there's no urgency to get these guys signed to make them feel like they're taken care of it. They would get injured. I just wonder if teams are going to break open the piggy bank at a time of so much financial uncertainty and pay these guys before training camp.
2: No, I think that's a very real issue. I, I don't think, you know, some of the high level ones, I think there's going to be some, you know, high commodity free agents that teams always, as you get towards the end of the draft, they start even calling them before the draft is over to basically lay down the groundwork to go, Hey, like, it looks like you might not get drafted. We'd love to have you here. We'll give you this much money to sign. You know, I think the high priority ones, you might see that. Uh, but, you know, that next group down and, and so on, Mike, I think your point's very real. I don't think they're going to get signed until teams know we're going to actually have practice and training camp and OTAs and those things.
1: And these are all things to be determined that we'll be tracking very closely as we get into May and June and July, and it will fly by. If you think the last five, six, seven weeks have flown by in this haze of Groundhog Day, the next coming months, I think, are going to go by quickly, and they need to have a plan, and we'll be tracking that every step of the way. All right, the 49ers had a plan this weekend, and it worked. They got Trent Williams away from Washington at a time when it looked like Washington had no trade partners because... The Buccaneers were interested in Trent Williams until they drafted a first-round tackle. The Browns were interested in Williams until they drafted a first-round tackle. The Vikings were in on Trent Williams until they drafted a second-round tackle. And then on Saturday, when it looked like Washington was stuck and it felt like Trent Williams was trying to get himself released so he could pick his next team and get a new contract, out of the blue, the 49ers get the deal done Kyle Shanahan, who was the offensive coordinator in Washington, reunited with Trent Williams, the longtime left tackle there. And uh, boom, bang, pow, right after Trent Williams is traded to uh, San Francisco, Chris, Joe Staley announces his retirement. I kind of feel like this was all orchestrated. I kind of feel like they knew that Staley was going to retire. They just wanted to wait until after they had Trent Williams on the roster before Staley announced his retirement.
2: Well, this is the kind of moves and magic a really functional, not dysfunctional, but functional organization can make. You know, I think it says a lot about the leadership of the 49ers. Not only, you know, Jed York, but Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch that, Mike, I mean, you're right. There's no doubt. They knew Joe Staley was going to retire. They did a good job of keeping that under wraps. Plus, because they've treated Joe Staley the right way, and he has respect for Jed York and Shanahan and John Lynch, he kind of kept his mouth quiet until they got the, you know, acquired asset that they wanted for their football team. And Trent Williams, yeah, with the history with Kyle Shanahan, uh, I I think probably wanted to go play for a guy like Kyle, knowing, you know, what he is as an offensive genius and his ability to run the ball and uh, all the excitement around the 49ers right now. So, you know, this is a... Big-time draft by the San Francisco 49ers. It wasn't necessarily that they killed it with number of players, but they got three guys that we could all sit here and look at and go, whoa, they needed these three guys, and they got high level at that. Trent Williams at left tackle. You know, the at receiver because he lost Emmanuel Sanders. Oh, we traded DeForest Buckner to the Colts. Hey, we got Jamon Kinlaw back for that pick we traded at a much lesser price. So the 49ers would be one of those teams I would look at to say they killed it this past weekend. And
1: let me just say this. This was GM John Lynch one week ago speaking to reporters in the Bay Area. As to the prospect of Joe Staley playing in 2020, we've kept in good contact with Joe. He's doing his typical routine down with his family in San Diego, working out. We're encouraged. We've heard nothing that would lead us to believe that Joe is not going to play. So we're encouraged with that. We'll see where that goes. Um, look, I guess there's a chance that Joe Staley had some sort of epiphany between Monday and Saturday morning, Chris. I think the more likely reality is this is another reason why it makes sense to scratch the surface. It makes sense to not swallow the hook like so many of us are wont to do. We need to be willing to question because there are strategic reasons for lying to the fans, for lying to the media, for ultimately lying to the team that you're trying to get Trent Williams from. Because if they know Joe Staley's retiring, right? First of all, if everyone knows Joe Staley's retiring, then you got to be looking for a tackle in the draft anyway. And uh, if they know Joe Staley's out, it's a lot easier to draw the connections from the 49ers to Williams because of Kyle Shanahan's link between the two teams. This is brilliant. And this is why you know, people accuse me from time to time, oh, you're trying to make something out of nothing. No, I know that in many of these cases, there's something going on behind what they're telling us. And this is a prime example of it.
2: Yeah, a a prime example, let alone, you know, all the things you said added to it. If the Washington Redskins know for sure that Joe Staley's going to retire, they're going to be able to ask for higher draft compensation and trades because they know the 49ers are desperate. So they'll hold their feet under the fire that way, too. So really well planned out. And I'm with you, Mike. I don't know, but I certainly would think that this was the plan all way, all along. And they got Joe Staley to just be a good team guy and keep his mouth shut and act like it was business as usual until they got what they needed or wanted to fill his roster spot. And, you know, like I said, the 49ers, they killed it this weekend with three really quality, big time contributors to their football team right away. Got a big time receiver, and then you know, Kinlaw adds to that great defensive line where they're not gonna lose much now because they lost to Forrest Buckner. And Trent Williams What you know, before he sat out last year, was the best left tackle in football. He's he's a Hall of Famer. He's that talented and uh that was big for the Forty ers Scott
1: McLuhan, who was at one point the general manager of the Forty ers and then the general manager in Washington, said last week that Trent Williams is better than any of the prospects Definitely. in the draft. and Look, and that, that's really not that much of a reach because, and this gets back to the point we were discussing earlier, for the guys coming in, we don't know who's going right. to work out. We don't know who's going to be able to deal with Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald. We don't know that. We know Trent Williams can because we've seen that's it happen right. before. And here's another wrinkle to this, Chris, that I find fascinating. Trent Williams reportedly put the kibosh on a potential trade to the Vikings. He denies that his agent came out not long before the trade happened with this blanket statement saying we've done nothing to discourage anyone from trading for Trent Williams. Look, there had been a prevailing belief for months that Trent Williams wants 18 to 20 million per year as part of a reworked contract after he's traded. And we know what that does to a trade. It makes it harder to happen because not only do you have to placate Washington, you have to come up with. A contract that Trent Williams will like. He wants eighteen to twenty million. I heard in the aftermath of the Laramie Meetunsel deal from late last week that he now wants twenty two million a year. Well, that's a way to avoid going to a place you don't want to go to because if you if you have that vague sense out there you want this big raise, it's gonna be impossible to get a deal done in Cleveland or Minnesota or Tampa Bay. But then for San Francisco, Oh, what? I don't want a new contract. I'm fine with it. And that's what we're hearing now. He's perfectly fine with 12 and for now. And they'll deal with it down the road. I don't think any other team was getting that consideration, which in hindsight made it even more clear that he wanted out of Washington and he wanted to land in San Francisco. He got what he wanted. San Francisco got what they wanted. And Washington, Chris, and this was a point you made to me via text message. And I went back and found the old stories. Dan Snyder surely did not want to trade Trent Williams to Kyle Shanahan. Dan Snyder had to hold his nose and take his medicine to get what he could for Trent Williams.
2: No doubt. I mean, I think there were some other teams interested in Trent Williams for sure, Mike. I know I, I had texted you a few of the teams that I thought or I had heard, you know, through the NFL grapevine that were in conversation with the Washington Redskins. But Mike, I think, you know, your last point you bring up was a, is a very real reality. I think more than likely Trent Williams, yes, forced his way to the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, you're going to trade me here? Well, I don't know if I'll play for them. Or if I do, I'm, I want $22 million a year. He did that, and I think that kind of forced Washington's hand to go, okay, you're going to have to send him to San Francisco. We're going to get a third and a fifth. That's not that bad. And, you know, Trent Williams, as it sounds right now, yes, obviously is happy with where he's going because it doesn't sound like he's going to ask for more money right now. So he seems to be content with the place he went because he got to, you know, this is where I think he had circled all along.
1: And here's the genius of it. It never was out that the 49ers were in play for Trent Williams, which prevented anyone from Washington, specifically the guy who signs the checks from telling anyone over my dead body, right? It never locked in no one ever had to take a position that they weren't going to want to back away from that's the genius of it we had no idea that the 49ers were in play until the cheese was standing alone in Washington with nowhere else to trade Trent Williams because the Buccaneers had their tackle the Jets had their tackle the Browns had their tackle the Vikings had their tackle tough luck Dan Snyder if you want to solve this now you only got one way to do it and that's trade him to San Francisco I'm telling you this They should write a book about how they pulled this off. I mean, this is the ultimate in NFL four-dimensional chess that the 49ers ended up with Trent Williams.
2: Well, definitely. You know, I, and, you know, I, I've heard that there were some other teams involved in this conversation, too. You know, and so I think a lot of teams were, you know, off the radar, radar trying to get their hands on Trent Williams Of course they were because of what you mentioned, you know, what Scott McLuhan mentioned. We know what this guy is. He's special that way. But the 49ers, yes, did a good job. It just tells you again, when you're a well-run organization and you do things the right way, you can pull things off like this even when you don't have a relationship with the guy you're doing business with. Because, yes, I, I have a hard time sitting here thinking if Dan Snyder had better options He would have gone another way. You know, as we know, Shanahan didn't speak very highly of the Redskins when the 49ers played them this past season. And things didn't end well between the Shanahan family and Dan Snyder. So uh, I was shocked to hear this. I didn't think it would ever happen. But I think because of lack of options and Trent Williams wanted to go to San Francisco, he made it happen. And uh, it's, it's a steal for the 49ers.
1: Chris, one of the reasons Kirk Cousins isn't the quarterback of the 49ers, the second year that Washington tagged him, Dan Snyder, and the reports were out there. We ran a link to the story in writing up the whole thing of Snyder holding his nose to do the deal with Kyle Shanahan. Snyder in 2017 did not want to help Kyle Shanahan, did not want to give him the quarterback he wanted. And he was able to ultimately derail that because in the interim they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. So by the time Kirk Cousins became available, it wasn't happening in San Francisco, but there is bad blood there. People do hold grudges and Dan Snyder and, and Kyle Kyle Shanahan's holding the grudge too though. I mean, when, when dad gets the game ball after you go back to Washington and beat Dan Snyder, you know, and, and what Kyle said the week before the game, you made light of this. Or not light of it, but you made reference to it. The idea, they asked him what he loved about coaching in Washington, what he liked the most. He said, being able to work with my dad and other great coaches, what did you like the least? Everything else was his response. So, uh, yeah, no love lost between the 49ers and Washington. But still, the ability to get a deal done, which makes it even more impressive. A couple of other things the 49ers did this weekend by way of trades. Marquise Goodwin traded to the Eagles. That's not a bad deal, Chris, because they quit using Marquise Goodwin. He he didn't, he wasn't dressing for games. To get anything for Marquise Goodwin is impressive. And then Matt Breida, one of the many running backs they have, traded to the Dolphins after Breida said not long ago he thought all the running backs would be back this year. Well, they're all going to be back except him.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, Breida's he, he is, you know, Breida the cheetah. He's a home run hitter. But the 49ers, I think, look at it and go, hey, he's got a little bit of an injury history. And we got pretty, we got pretty deep talent at the running back position. Let's not forget, Jarek McKinnon might be back in the fold for the 49ers this year. And then you're right, with the Marquise Goodwin, there's no role there for him right now. Not between Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, and now Brandon Ayuk. And let's not forget, you know, their third-round pick from last year, Jalen Hurd out of Baylor. He's going to be healthy and back in the conversation. They still had Dante Pettis. So there was, there was no more use for a guy like Marquise Goodwin. And, you know, I think there is certainly a need there in Philadelphia for a speed guy like that. You know, I know they got Jalen Rieger in the first round. Uh, but, but again, you know, I think they want more than one. Deshaun Jackson, if he pulls a hamstring or pulls a calf muscle once again, you don't want your game plan to fall out the window. Marquise Goodwin can do a lot of those same type of things that a Deshaun Jackson can. Maybe not at that high of a level, but the same theory and player as, at least.
1: We mentioned the Eagles. They had the most controversial pick of the night on Friday when they took quarterback Jalen Hurts. Do we agree with the move, and how do we envision that the former Alabama and then Oklahoma quarterback will be used on the depth chart in Philadelphia? We'll discuss that next when PFT Live continues. We've shown how we feel about Carson by our actions. We showed it by the amount of picks we put into him, and we showed it by the contract extension, and we believe... This is a guy to lead us to our next Super Bowl championship. But uh, for better or worse, we are quarterback developers. We want to be a quarterback factor. We have the right people in place to do that. You know, no team in the National Football League has benefited more but from developing quarterbacks than the Philadelphia Eagles. I just need to make one observation regarding the overall presentation and appearance of the 2020 draft. I like the fact that we were in people's homes. Why did they feel compelled to... To put those cheesy press conference backgrounds behind coaches and GMs, like the one we saw behind Howie Roseman. I mean, it looked like Zach Taylor, the Bengals coach, was at an old Olin Mills studio sitting there pressed up against one of those cheesy, fake backgrounds. Why? Just let it be the organic, authentic background in the guys' homes, Chris.
2: I I don't know either. You know, it's branding. That's really all it is. Again, you know, so they could put it up on their website or whenever it is on any other website or media outlet, we know what team is being talked about, but you're right. Some of it was a little raggedy looking and I certainly like the behind the looks, you know, behind the curtain scene, we got to see at all these teams and GM's and coaches homes. It was, it was refreshing in a lot of ways just to see how they live and have some family involved because you know what Mike, football is family. Just so you just want to make sure you don't forget.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. I had never heard that one before. One thing I noticed in John Harbaugh's awesome study office, whatever that is with the the bookshelf, he he, he really likes birdhouses. He has like a collection of birdhouses up over the door, uh, which I guess makes sense given the team that he coaches and the team that he coached before that. But he really likes birdhouses. Lots of birdhouses up there for John Harbaugh. Something we never would have known but for the virtual. But well, he's a Ravens coach.
2: You know, he likes that's Ravens. My, that's cool, that's cool. my point. Uh
1: All right, so Jalen Hurts, now a member of the Philadelphia Eagles via round two. That was a surprise. We had heard some rumblings about teams that were maybe thinking about Jalen Hurts and maybe trying to make Hurts a Taysom Hill type of a weapon, a guy who would be on the field in different capacities. For the Philadelphia Eagles, that may happen, and their quarterback's coach has said in the past he'd like to have plays with two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. But I think primarily this is about the idea of, that they understand Carson Wentz is – not that he's fragile per se. He's just – he's a big, rough-and-tumble guy who doesn't shy away from contact, so from time to time he's going to get hurt. So they need to have Jalen Hurts for when Carson Wentz gets hurt,
2: period. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's more than that, too. I I don't think it's just about the quarterback situation. I think they look at it and go, this guy's got potential, but this guy's a project at quarterback, Mike. You know, he's a below-average NFL thrower. He's a below-average NFL decision-maker. You know, when you watch him on film, he doesn't want to throw. It's look at the first guy, and if he's not wide open, he wants to run. So there's going to be some developmental time as far as getting Jalen Hurts ready at the quarterback position. Like, you know, again, I know we talked about this a little earlier in the show, I don't think here, here in year one, if Carson Wentz was going to get dinged up or something like that, had a hurt ankle and had to miss a game, I don't think they're looking at Jalen Hurst to be the backup this year. Maybe year two, three, and so on. But I think early on, you know, the point you make about Taysom Hill and having an athlete, you know, that can do a lot of different things, this is a guy that could be a little H-back, slot receiver, line him up in the backfield, you give him a toss sweep. Oh, the next time we give him the toss sweep and he might throw the football. You're going to be able to do some creative things because he does have a vast skill set. You know, this guy's a leader. He loves football and he is strong and tough and played a big time program. So I think the value is there. I think the quarterback thing is a little ways down the road, just like we saw with the Saints and Taysom Hill. There's going to be some development, development you know, go on with this guy all around at the position. He needs to he needs some polish for sure.
1: We talked on Friday that the decision to take Jalen Rieger in the first round of the draft was driven by Howie Roseman's belief that Rieger's skill set fits Carson Wentz's skill set. So they they went into round one, presumably targeting Rieger. I wonder, Chris, how much they targeted Jalen Hurts. Because we know how this happens. It can either happen just kind of out of the blue where a guy slides down the board, Brian Gutekunst, the Packers GM, told Peter King that that kind of is what happened with Jordan Love once he made it past a certain point. I just wonder how much the Eagles intended going into the draft. Now, after the fact, they're going to say this is the guy we wanted all along. But I wonder how much that was part of the plan before Thursday and how much of it was kind of something that they hatched on the fly.
2: Yeah, I got to think that it was something that was part of the plan. I don't think you draft this type of guy as far as Jalen Hurts is concerned without knowing you know, you're going into it with like a little circle around him going, man, if he's there at the right spot, we want to take this football player because we have a plan for him. You know, I don't think this is totally just about, hey, we're going to draft a quarterback and see what kind of, you know, see what he develops into and maybe he could be a great, you know, asset for our organization in the future. So, you know, this helps Carson Wentz, certainly. You know, I I guess the thing I look at with, with both of these things is, you know, I wonder how long Jalen Hurts would have been on the board. You know, Jalen Rieger at 21. Man, I didn't love that pick, as you know. I mean, I don't like any receivers drafted in the top first round where I ran a faster five ten five 5 and almost ran a faster three-cone drill, and it's that guy's job in life to change directions and do those things. You know, there's some serious flaws there. So, you know, I know Howie Roseman talked about us at the Combine how we were going to support – Carson Wentz. We want to get players around Carson Wentz. You know, I don't know. I'm a little underwhelmed to this point of this offseason about the support they've given Carson Wentz. So, um, I, you know, I, I like it, but I, it seems like to me they're just going, hey, Carson, we saw you carry the team last year with not a lot of talent. We'll give you a little bit more, but we want you to carry the team once again, and um, I, I, we'll see if that's realistic or not. I do think Wentz is very talented and capable of doing that type of stuff.
1: You know, I think back 12 years now to when the dolphins hatched the whole wildcat thing on the Patriots in 2008. And then in 2009, when Michael Vick was available to rejoin the NFL, it was the Eagles and Harry Roseman was working for the Eagles at the time that added Vick to the roster that was led by Don McNabb. Now that time around, they were thinking Vic could be the successor to McNabb because right. McNabb's career was pulling into the station even though he didn't realize it. But I remember this during the preseason game, the gesture from McNabb when they had Vic out there. I just wonder how much they're going to have Hertz out there with Wentz. Will they put Hertz on the field instead of Wentz? Will they put Hertz under center and move Wentz out to receiver like the old second quarterback Wildcat formula used to be? Will we see Hurts in these different things? Or will it just be intended to create chaos? And you know what? You go into a two-minute offense, and maybe one snap, Hurts is under center. The next snap, Wentz is under center. And you really screw up a defense. I I, I just think there's a lot of strategizing that has gone into this for the Eagles. Whether or not it works, we'll see. Yeah, But sure. I think they have a much, much bigger plan than Hurts standing on the sideline holding a clipboard.
2: I, I agree. That's why I don't think it's about, like— you know, I've heard too many people go like, "Ooh, should Carson Wentz feel threatened?" No, it, it's not they just about paid that. Him. Exactly. They just that's paid what him I wanted last to, year. on social media. I just wanted to be like, "Yeah, they didn't just pay him hundred million dollars to go, hey, we're going to replace you the next year with a quarterback that's famous for running and not really throwing the football. In fact, had to leave his first school because he wasn't good at throwing and had to go to another one." So, no, you're right, Mike. There's a plan here. And this is the school of Andy Reid, and Andy Reid is brilliant and always known how to be creative and do different things on the offensive side of the ball. And I think Jalen Hurd is going to be somebody that, like you said, is going to be a weapon for them, that they're going to find ways, Philly Philly or Dilly Dilly or whatever the hell you want to call it, they're going to to find ways to get him on the field to do things for that offense.
1: All right, we need to take a break. When we return, we're going to have our draft of the rookies that we think will make the most immediate impact with the caveat that no one knows what any of these guys are going to do at the NFL level. Oh, he loves that that.
2: line today.
1: I do love that line today. I, I, I should be careful with it, though, because the last time I used it, it provoked a reaction that was not intended. More PFT Live right after this. 36 receivers drafted between Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's tied for the most in a seven-round draft. 13 in the first two rounds. So if we are looking for rookies to make a contribution right away, it may be a receiver who makes our draft. Today's draft, the pick with the most immediate impact in the NFL. I've got the trivia question for Christopher. If he gets it right, he gets the first pick. Chris, last year, three rookies made the Pro Bowl. Nick Bosa was one. Name one of the other two rookies who made the Pro Bowl: offense, defense, special teams.
2: Oh my gosh, I'm totally going to choke to death here. Oh man,
1: offense, defense, or special teams?
2: I know special teams. You're saying something there. That must there must be somebody special teams. Who am I missing? Oh my gosh, I'm choking under the pressure. I don't know. Go ahead. I'm totally choking. Uh. Can't. Womp womp.
1: Oh, only your second most embarrassing moment of the day, unfortunately. Uh, the, uh, the answers are Michael Hardman of the Chiefs and Deontay Harris of the Saints. They both made it as special teamers. I thought that hint would help. But again, it's not easy to do when the clock is ticking. All right, the clock is ticking on me. And this one is easy for me. The last player taken in round one, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who undoubtedly will be the starting running back sooner rather than later for the Kansas City Chiefs, and he will have opportunities to run the ball. He will have opportunities to catch the ball. He will be playing with Patrick Mahomes and company, so we will notice Clyde Edwards-Hilaire more than we will notice any other rookie. He will make the most immediate impact in 2020, Chris.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't disagree. He was certainly on my list. I got seven names here, and he certainly was one of them. I don't know. Uh, it, it's going to be big time. I mean, I know you and I, we were we were excited about the possibility of him playing in that offense. And it's kind of like, you know, I don't want to say it, but it's almost like Golden State getting Kevin Durant, where you're just like, whoa, how the hell are you going to stop this team now with this, this amount of weapons? So awesome pick by them. Uh, I'm going to say on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with C.D. Lamb and the Dallas Cowboys. One, I mean, I think he's the most talented receiver in the draft. But two, because of the support system and the talent around him, I just think he's going to really benefit from that his rookie year. You know, a la Juju Smith-Schuster when Antonio Brown was there and Ben Roethlisberger. And, I, you know, and again, I think CeeDee Lamb is a more talented football player than a Juju Smith-Schuster. But with Amari Cooper, the running game that they have, And, of course, not a bad cast of characters at the wide receiver position and tight end position to go along with it. I just think CeeDee Lamb, in this new offense with Mike McCarthy's ideas, and I know they still got, uh, you know, Kellen Moore there, I I just have a hard time thinking he's not going to find a real niche for himself and see some very beneficial matchups because of the other guys around
0: him.
1: Somebody asked me for the mailbag column that we do every Sunday to – rank how I believe Henry Ruggs, 12th overall to the Raiders, Jerry Judy, 15th to the Broncos, and C.D. Lamb, 17th to the Cowboys, will perform at the NFL level. And I put Lamb first because of the things you just mentioned. You put any of those guys in that spot where Amari Cooper is going to draw double teams. You've got Ezekiel Elliott to soften up the front seven to make the passing game more effective generally. And you've got Dak Prescott, you're putting that receiver, whoever it is, is—Rugs or Judy or C.D. Lamb or anyone else, in a great, great spot. And I flip it around, a guy like Henry Ruggs, and I'm not picking Henry Ruggs because he doesn't have a number one receiver who's going to be double teamed. I think Derek Carr is bumping up against the ceiling. He's never going to bust through. And I think the support staff around a Henry Ruggs isn't nearly as good as it is in Dallas or even as good as it is for Judy in Denver. So I agree with you on C.D. Lamb. All right, the next one for me. And, and this one's simple because to have an impact, you have to be on the field. And of all the quarterbacks taken in the draft, there's only one guy we can look at with any degree of confidence to say this guy's going to be on the field from week one, barring an injury. And that's Joe Burrow, the first overall pick in the draft. And I think he's going to be very good at the NFL level based on what I have gleaned so far, based on what guys like you have said, based on what others have said, based on what we saw at LSU last year. Right. And, uh, you know, the Bengals have It's not that they have a, a a great stash of weapons there. but I think when you have improved quarterback play, that's going to make some of your guys look even better. You give him Joe Mixon, you give him AJ green. They need to worry about the offensive line, but I think Burrow is going to have a big impact right away in part, because he's going to be out there from the moment the season begins.
2: No doubt about it. And he just, you know, everything that we've seen, like you said, just watching college football, the way he handles himself. I mean, he's going to have a huge impact on that team, the city, everything about it. And then, to draft a wide receiver like T, T. Higgins to start the second round to go along with it to help that investment, you know. As we know, they're going to have jo- You know, uh, their their left tackle. What's his last name is from last year? Jonah. I'm banking on his name from Alabama. He'll be back healthy. And like you said, there's some pretty good weapons there. So I understand that. Uh, I, I I almost made him the first pick, but he's been the first pick, so I didn't want to make him the first pick of this draft too. <laughs> I just wanted to change it up a little bit. Uh, going to change this, this
1: draft entails slightly less compensation for the first pick a, a little less, less,
2: a little less. I don't think you're going to be paying them that kind of money. All right. My next one, I'm going to go to your squad. I'm going to Justin Jefferson, the Minnesota Vikings. You know, again, there's, there's a lot of things to like about Justin Jefferson, the player. First off, I can't get over that. He was still on the board for your Minnesota Vikings at pick 22, you know, has it all. But when you look at the receiving room right now for the Minnesota Vikings, Who are you looking at? You know, Adam Thielen, what, Tajay Sharp, right? You guys signed him. You know, BB is a guy. So this is uh, – yeah, well, he's definitely – Jefferson's going to be the second receiver. And him and Adam Thielen, size over the middle. We know they want to play two backs, one tight end, two receivers. You know, so to go the play-action pass, the run game, everything off of that, Justin Jefferson's really going to benefit from it. So – I look at him as having a big statistical year and being a big part of that offense.
1: See, and I didn't even have him on my list because the Vikings have not had a good history of first-round receivers ever since Troy Williamson. Now, Percy Harvin was good in 2009 uh, until the wheels kind of came off for him in Minnesota. But uh, I, I think that they're better off finding their receivers late in the draft or not at all, like <laughs> Stephon Diggs round five or four, Adam Thielen undrafted. I worry about Justin Jefferson just because of the that expectation, that extra expectation like you're talking about. He's going to come in as the number two guy. He's going to come in as a guy who's expected to do a lot to justify the draft position that could make it even more challenging. All right, I was going to be um, kind of a wiseacre here. And pick Jordan Love because he's already made an impact on the Packers. Not the kind of impact that we are talking about in this draft, but the mere fact that they picked him has caused uh Packers Nation to turn upside down. I'm gonna go instead with Derek Brown, the seventh overall pick to the Carolina. Oh Panthers. good pick, man. To the extent to the extent that the Elias Sports Bureau does adopt your F up the play stat, Derek Brown will lead all rookies in that category. And, you know, as you were saying the other day, this is like a Warren Sapp type of a guy, a guy who can come in and be very disruptive. He's been compared to Chris Jenkins, who was a mainstay in Carolina for years. Just that interior force that can screw up a play to the point where the rest of the guys can get the job done. That's what Brown can be for the Carolina Panthers, a guy that, that has very little sex appeal in his game because he doesn't carry the football. Or catch the football or throw the football, but he's gonna be a guy who keeps the other team from doing any of those things whenever they face the Panthers.
2: That's right. I mean it's these type of guys that you need on your team to win championships. I mean that that's ultimately what we're talking about here. You know, whether it's Warren Sapp or DeForest Buckner or whatever it is, you know, yeah, we don't talk about these guys. Aaron Donald, we don't talk about these guys a lot. Yes, they don't have sex appeal, but more times than not, when you look at the teams in the Super Bowl they have those type of guys like DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Chris Jones, who made a number of plays, Derek Brown. Yeah, he reminds me of Warren Sapp, but he's like the size of Chris Jenkins, which was like a true nose tackle and 330 t- 30 pounds. You know, this kid's, kid's phenomenal, Mike. And yeah, the F up the play stat, disruption, whatever you want him to do, he can do it. And I think him paired along with Kawan Short and what the Carolina Panthers did in the draft was just – I think they blew it out of the water. They killed it. And this started it off right here with this freak talent, Derek Brown, who's really probably a top five pick and uh, great for them to to have him on the board at number seven. All right, good pick there. You stole mine. Um, I'm going to go to the second round. I'm going to pick one second rounder here because I'm going to pick Jonathan Taylor, the running back out of Wisconsin. Yes, I thought he was the second best running back in the draft. He's got great power. He's almost 230 pounds. And he was the fastest running back in the draft. At 4'3'9. 9", at, at that size, is pretty special. And why I think that he'll have the most immediate impact is because we know they got a big blue wall in Indianapolis. They got one of the best O-lines there is, let alone it's creative and what they do on the offensive side of the ball in the running game. And Jonathan Taylor, to me, is a home run hitter a big-time superstar talent, and I think when all said and done, he will be their bell cow main to, main go-to running back.
1: And, you know, this gets back to something we addressed in the aftermath of Christian McCaffrey getting his big contract from the Panthers not all that long ago. These running backs who are in line for a second contract may not get one, and Marlon Mack just saw his chances of getting paid by the Colts disappear, I think, for good yeah, because right. they're going to let Mack go, And they're going to keep Jonathan Taylor. And Jonathan Taylor is going to be the cornerstone of the rushing attack after this year. One last thing before we break. Because we mentioned both Warren Sapp and Chris Jenkins in the same comparison to Derrick Brown. And they probably didn't appreciate that because they don't like each other. I got a quote from Chris Jenkins about Warren Sapp from 2005. One of the all-time great quotes. Here's what Jenkins had to say about Sapp. I hate him. Everybody says I'm supposed to be polite when I talk to reporters, but I hate him. He talks too much. He doesn't make sense. He's fat. He's sloppy. He acts like he's the best thing since sliced bread. He's ugly. He stinks. His mouth stinks. His breath stinks. And basically, his soul stinks. Chris Jenkins on Warren Sat. Chris.
2: There was um, some real bad blood in 2003. <laughs> when I got to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers between the Buccaneers and the Carolina Panthers, because the Buccaneers defense, Mike, as we know was Sapp and Derek Brooks and John Lynch and Rondé Barber. They were the Kings of the NFC and the Kings of the NFC South, but the Panthers with Chris Jenkins and uh, Julius Peppers and everybody else that came along with them, uh, Brenton Buckner and all those guys, they wanted to take the title away. They had had enough of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So there was some bad blood stewing right as Right as Warren Sapp was leaving Tampa Bay, and that continued to when he went to the Raiders, uh, Chris Jenkins still made it be known that he didn't like that guy.
1: Bad blood and apparently bad breath between Chris Jenkins and Warren Sapp. All right, quick break. When we return, Peter King was in the Buccaneers virtual draft room for round one. He has inside details on why they were so anxious to try to trade up into the top 10. More PFT Live coming at you right now. Check out the new Football Morning in America at ProFootballTalk.com. Peter King was in the Buccaneers' virtual draft room for round one. And in this week's column, he gives us a minute-by-minute recap of how the first-ever virtual draft trade went down. The Buccaneers were trying to get into the top ten. They kept trying. They couldn't get into the top ten. Ultimately, they flip-flopped with the 49ers, 14-13. and And Light explains that they moved up one spot in Tampa Bay, because there, were con- uh, there was a concern about Joe Staley retiring and that the Niners could definitely be a tackle team. So they wanted to get ahead of the 49ers. Ultimately, they got ahead of the 49ers by just trading spots with the 49ers. And uh, look, that, that this is another reason why that vague sense of what the 49ers were or weren't going to do benefited from them, for them. They got the guy they would have taken at 13 in Javon Kinlaw, and they moved down a spot, and they got something from the Buccaneers for doing it. It's brilliant, Chris.
2: Yeah, brilliant. All because they were tight-lipped and about their their approach to the draft and what they wanted to do, and all because they have great relationships with their players where the player didn't sell them out or sell them down the river or expose them to go, you know, hey, I'm retiring. It's the end of February. Hey, yep, hey, everybody, the 49ers need a tackle. No, Joe Staley did the team a solid there. You know, by by keeping this quiet and acting like business as usual, yes, it allowed them to make the trade not only for Trent Williams, but to get this done. And, yes, this was a huge trade for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tackle was a serious need. And I'm sure they wanted to get into the top ten to get one of those first three that were off the board. To me, those first three were the cream of the crop. You couldn't go wrong with them. Worse, he, like I had said to you, Mike, last week, He's got a little bit of a slow foot problem. I'm not sure he's not more of a guard than a tackle, but he's going to be forced to play tackle this year, and certainly at the combine shown the ability to be a good athlete. So they're going to have to coach him up. But, yeah, Brady and Bruce Arians and company needed this tackle position desperately if they want to throw the ball downfield to Mike Evans and Gronk and everybody.
1: And the Buccaneers, as we discussed earlier, were in the mix for Trent Williams until they got their tackle. The Browns, the Jets potential Trent Williams destinations they got their tackles the Vikings got their tackle the 49ers kept their mouths shut and continued to perpetuate the Joe Staley myth that he was going to play this year and then they're the ones who emerged with Trent Williams again brilliant on every level for the 49ers let's take a quick break when we return some folks in the UK weighing in on Chris's pronunciation of one of their cities we'll share that with you next right here on PLTN plenty of insight coming up today on the 2020 nfl draft on lunch talk live with mike tarico he will have dolphins coach brian flores eagles coach doug peterson and cardinals gm steve Kime. that's coming up at noon eastern right here on nbcsn with an encore presentation at 3 p.m eastern we had an encore tweet from our good friend the blue one Clarifying now, the blue one very happy that we used his tweet for the uh the correction of uh Greenwich Mean Time versus British Summer Time. He's also very uh, uh happy to be pointing out that Chris's pronunciation of Leicester earlier in the hour, Leicester, one of the non London cities in the UK, it's Leicester, Chris, not Leicester or whatever it is that you said. <laughs>
2: I, well, as we know, I'm not very good with the English language, England, so I don't mean disrespect by that, okay, by any stretch of the imagination. It's good to be coached up. Uh, and, yeah, I, I always – I can never remember that. Leicester, uh, I won't mess it up, but I know it just from, you know, Premier League on, on NBC Sports and NBC Network and, of course, the, ho- uh, the soccer team. I'm getting there. I'm getting there.
1: Here, here, but here's what I would say in your defense. If the town is going to be called Lester, they should spell it Lester.
2: They Don't not tell spell it. the people they that invented the language how to say way. the language, Mike, okay? Know your uh, damn right. lane. They're the, English. Then, then, they then know the language do, we, better than we then, do.
1: Then why was Lester Hayes' first name not spelled L E I C E S T E R? Mm-hmm.
2: Damn, I didn't know Lester Hayes was the first human on the planet. I didn't know we had to follow that spelling. Let's go on with England's version. Right. I think they might know better. All right, in deference to the U.K., England,
1: <laughs> Ireland, everyone over there, thanks for joining us. We love being live there and live in the U.S., and hopefully we'll be back tomorrow despite Chris's uh, little gaffe earlier in the day. Have a great day, Chris. Have a great day, everybody. else. see you Tuesday. See ya.